Welcome to our new podcast, Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. We're a married couple who both really love Star Trek. For this podcast, we're going to do a weekly analysis of the new CBS All Access show, Star Trek Discovery, which will premiere Sunday, September 24th on the CBS network. Our objectives are to host a forum where we can critique each episode as well as engage a community of fans who we invite to give feedback on the show and other things Trek-related. Yeah, the idea is for us to have a forum where we can interact about this specific show, but also we can span that out and look at our feelings about Star Trek lore and the universe at large. So for this show, we're going to look forward to the first episode to talk about what really intrigues us. And we're also going to share a few of our concerns. (laughs) And by concerns, what we mean, what Adele means is those those things that at this point um, in the story seem not to fit with currently held Star Trek canon. So before we do, uh, I think we should first introduce us a little bit more. to the audience a little bit more. Well, then why don't you go first? All right. So, um, again, I'm Adele, and I uh, started watching Star Trek um, when it was first run in the 60s. I was in grade school at the time. And just like a lot of fans, I really got into watching the adventures that centered primarily around uh, Bones, Kirk, and Spock. But as an African-American female, I also looked forward to seeing uh, the portrayal of Uhura as uh, played by Nichelle Nichols every week. You know, at that time, there were very few uh, African-American characters uh, in a regular uh, television show. And even though her part in the show uh, was not... Uh, one of the leads, I did look forward to seeing what she had to say, how she portrayed it, how she added to each scene. So that, to me, was really exciting. After that, uh, I stayed, uh, I was, uh, remained a fan of Star Trek. I went to one of the first Star Trek conventions. It was held at Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. And then I saw the cartoon series, And then I went to the first movie, which, Gary, as you know, I have told you this. It was one of the biggest disappointments of my life, you know. Uh, But I felt that they really were able to make up for that with the second movie, which was The Wrath of Khan, which Ricardo Montalban really, uh, if it he really put uh, uh, made his place in Star Trek history, not only with the episode in the TV show, but that movie was just really fantastic. Right, right. I felt after that, for me, the TV shows and the films were hit or miss, but I still remain you know, a really ardent fan. Right. And for me, I didn't see the show in its original run on NBC. I caught it when it was in syndication and reruns and that for here me locally was um in the detroit area we had it on channel 50 where you'd see it programmed regularly on saturday and sunday as well as during the weekdays for a period of time 
naturally, as Adele said, I also watched the cartoon show, which today I have the DVD. Even it holds up in regards to the 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 story quality, the storytelling quality, and also um, the way it approaches dealing very clearly with the the Star Trek lore. Yeah. So why don't we now get into? what we're looking forward to as far as the series goes, you know, what really intrigues us. And, you know, I, just like a lot of fans, I'm just excited about the fact that after 12 years of not having Star Trek on television, Mm -hmm. that it's now come back. That um, we were able to see, you know, what really has happened, you know, with Starfleet and the Federation and them filling in that backstory. Right. Right, and and seeing how the last series, Star Trek Enterprise, was a hit and miss for a lot of fans. For for a good number of fans, it was a miss. It's the only one of the sequel series that did not go seven seasons. Um, so I think that there's a lot of pent up anticipation for this new show for people. And if you also look at the fact, you know, just historically, mm-hmm. how Star Trek you know, uh, has been on for five decades. Right, right, right. And, you know, television history itself isn't really much older. older. Right, right, right. And so, you know, not having Star Trek on TV seems like, uh, you know, there is a problem with that. Right. You know, that we're really missing something and that we need to fill this void. Right. Actually, Star Trek has been on television through the history of television more than it's been off. And I think that says a lot in regards to what you're looking at in regards to the context of the, the impact one, one idea has had on this entire industry. Yep. So besides that, another thing that I'm looking forward to, um, is how they deal with diversity in the show. One of the things, if you read the comments that the showrunners made or the other characters, uh, they often quote what is the vo- the foundation of Vulcan philosophy, and that is infinite diversity and infinite combination. Yeah. Yeah. And what to what that means to me is that we're not talking about assimilationism, even when we're dealing with humans mm-hmm. um, as a cohort. We're not talking about assimilation of the humans. Um, we're going to talk, we're going to mention a little bit later uh, about the J.J. Abrams movies. <laughs> but one of the things that, even though I enjoy those films more than Gary would ever uh, say, I, one of the things that really bothered me about those films was that there was a real lack of diversity. Yes, you had a character named Uhura, but there was nothing about her besides her name that told you anything about her ethnic heritage. The way she dressed, the, her hair, uh, even just the aesthetics of her makeup, her earrings. You know, there was nothing about her that, again, showed her anything of her African roots. And this was unlike the television show. You would have thought that uh, it being a more modern retelling of the Star Trek lore, that they would have paid more attention to that. The only um, character that was still allowed to show any part of his ethnic heritage really was uh, the Russian. 
Oh, Chekhov. Was Chekhov. Yeah. He was the only one because uh, he was able to speak uh, with that accent. Right. Which is a TV Russian accent. Which is a TV, admittedly, a TV Russian accent. Right, 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 right. But on this new show, um, we're looking forward to, there's two captains. Yep, two ships, there, two captains. There is Captain Giorgio, who is ethnically Chinese. Right. There is the other captain, is, has a Spanish uh, surname. He is Captain Gabriel Lorca. Right. Uh, but he speaks with a southern accent. Yes. You got, you got Captain Lorca, who's played by Jason Isaac, who is a British actor. You have Michelle Yao. Who is playing Captain Giorgio? And then you have an openly interracial couple. Um, you have this alien that senses death. You have these xenophobic clan of Klingons. You know, so there's just, you know, on the surface at least, or what we can see from the previews, uh, that it really is going to be a diverse. Uh, group of people. So I'm really looking forward to how this is going to play out. Right. And, and I think that's to the credit of the history of Star Trek. If you Even from the first series on, you've seen them put a group of people on these shows that actually reflect what humanity looks like as well as these other species. And, and so they're just, I, I appreciate the fact that they're continuing in that tradition by how they've put together this cast. So specifically with the idea of the lead character, we don't have a captain as the lead. We actually have the first officer of one of the ships in the lead, and that's Michael Burnham, um, first officer Michael Burnham, who is a black lead, the second black lead that they've had for a Star Trek series after Avery Brooks playing Benjamin Sisko on my favorite Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. Um, now, and, and the real interesting thing about her is that she is a black woman who was orphaned as a child and raised by Sarek, Spock's father, as his adopted daughter on Vulcan. So here you have a black human being, black female human being, who's been immersed in Vulcan society for her formative years. And that in the show, she's actually being reintroduced or being displayed, being reintroduced into human culture um, again th through Starfleet and her experiences there. Which I think add a huge um, uh, element of, di of diversity and dynamics that I think will be a major part of the, the story going forward. I'm really excited about that. And I agree with Gary. I am excited about uh, this character Michael Berman uh, played by Sonequa Martin-Green who many people might remember played Sasha Williams on The Walking Dead she's one of the numerous black people who have been killed almost every season <laughs> on that show if you black on the show you should understand you ain't gonna be on very long you're gonna die and they're just gonna replace you with another <laughs> black person but that also, talking about the character of Michael Burnham, that also brings us to, you know, what has been cited as one of the concerns that, that, is, that, that many of the, yep. I would say, longtime fans have right. expressed. Right. And that is that she is supposedly the adoptive uh, daughter of Sarek, of Sarek mm -hmm. and that uh, 
people are disturbed by that or have an issue with right. it because we've never heard this before. Right. I mean, so you could kind of think of it as sort of a similar reaction to what happened uh, when people found out that Spock had this half brother well. that you had never heard about well. uh, in that in one of the worst. Uh, movies ever made. Well, for we Star forgot Day. that. We forgot. Okay, that. That's we, we, we try dead. not to even think we, about we don't, that. We, that. That movie didn't occur. <laughs> we don't, it don't have, and nothing in it is made canon. Right. We and the only person who talks about that is William Shatner because <laughs> he wrote and directed it, and so we ignore that that film actually existed. Nothing in it matters. So just so, hand, just wave your hands. This disappears. But disappears. we do know in this case that this character again, she is the lead character. Yep. We are seeing Star Trek through her eyes, yep. Yep. and that she uh, is the adopted daughter of uh, a character who you've seen through most of Star Trek history yep. in television shows yep. and in films. Yep. And so, you know, why have we not heard anything about this character beforehand? Well, I have a theory, and it's based on the shows, the way they present it to you. Throughout most of the TV series, the Vulcan culture has been presented as being immensely secretive. Um, in fact, Vulcans are not accustomed to relinquishing information about themselves to others specifically. And there's a, several examples of this. On the original series in the episode Journey to Babel, when Kirk, Spock, and Bones are uh, recognizing and welcoming the delegates onto the, sh onto the ship as they are about to begin negotiations, they welcome Ambassador Sarek and his lovely human wife, Amanda. And that is the first time that they find out that the man who they've been serving next to all these years, that it, those two people are his parents. They, that Jim and Bones did not know about that beforehand. On the uh, Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise series, when Paul is finally reveals that she has to go back and deal with her betrothal to a man, to a Vulcan male. Um, she, that's the first knowledge that anybody has had of that arranged relationship. Same thing goes with Spock on the original series. In fact, even in that episode of, of A Monk Time on the original series, when Spock has to go and fight he ends up fighting Kirk for the right to marry the Tupreen, the woman that he's betrothed to. She has set up this whole challenge to create a situation where her 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 real love, the person that she wants to be married to, will end up eventually being her 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 her, her husband. So there's all these elements, and again, if you look at. Uh, Star Trek Enterprise, the secrecy of the Vulcan culture is an ongoing storyline throughout that entire series. So there are aspects of the shows that have told us that the Vulcans are not inclined to actually relinquish information, share information, even with people with whom they are in close proximity or people who they have, you know, they're actually 
in danger with, that these are the people who they might die next to. Um, they just don't give it up. So I understand why we don't know. I'm comfortable with the fact that this is the first time we're hearing about Michael Burnham and her relationship with with um, Spock. Okay, so I can accept all that, Gary. I can all accept all right. the fact that the Vulcans are secretive. But there are other people who know about her background. You know, we at least yeah. know there's at least one other person who knows about her background yep. who is not a Vulcan, and that is Captain Giorgio, who's a human. Right. And she um, is very much aware of the fact that Michael... You know, for the for her formative years, grew up on Vulcan. That she went to the Vulcan Science Academy, right. so she knows that. And how that and that could have been kept a secret. And there's no reason to keep it a secret because, as you know, that on the on the original sec an uh, original series, uh, there's there are crew members who are very distrustful of Vulcan. And there's the episode, what's the episode? Balance of Terror, where that's when we first see the image of Romulans on a ship that the Enterprise is fighting. And it's revealed at that moment for the first time that there is a physical similarity between Vulcans and Romulans. To the point that some of the crew members on the Enterprise start questioning the, 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 the loyalty of Spock. Exactly. So... If you had somebody who existed before that time who actually had knowledge about Vulcans and their philosophy and the way they behave, and so why wouldn't this person have been used to inform, you know, uh, officers, the academy, uh, uh, other humans about how Vulcans behave. That's a good point. Why wouldn't she? Why wouldn't her intimate knowledge of Vulcan culture be utilized to make relationships between humans and Vulcans better? That that's that makes perfect sense. I'm waiting to see what the series shows me and explains that to me. I am open to their having an opportunity to explain that to me. And, and I'm like Gary in that um, although that is an issue that I'm a little uncomfortable with, you know, at the moment, I am willing to give the show this whole first season to, you know, provide an explanation, which I think jives with the reality we, we know that happens after the time that this series takes place. Okay. So I want to talk about... Um, um, another concern or something else that you know we're looking forward to seeing and that is um, when we look at these Klingons yep, yep, uh, these, yep. the way that you know the aesthetics of these Klingons are something that we haven't seen before right, right. Uh, if you listen to uh, the showrunners or you read information uh, promotional information they say that these Klingons are purebred yep Yep. And that they're xenophobic. Yep. Uh, we know that when you look at their features, they're very harsh. Right. They're, uh, they're more reptilian than the Klingons at this time period because the Klingons at this time period have been mutated to have more human features. Yes. And then the ones that we see later on in the movies and then Next Generation, they have the 
ridges, the forehead ridges and the long hair. And so, yeah, they, um, the, but these guys, they don't have any hair. And like you said, they, and they're more, they're more reptilian in their full, um, attire. So I'm really interested to see the portrayal of these Klingons and find out what their backstory is and how do they relate to the other Klingons. And I'm also interested in seeing the dynamics of how, you know, these women in this culture, this specific Klingon culture, how they interact with men. We already know that uh, the women can have leadership uh, positions because we see that with one of the regular characters is going to be a commander right, right. on one of the Klingon yep. ships. On, on, yep, on Discovery, one of the Klingons that they're going to be dealing with is a commander and she is a female Klingon. Yep. And, and, we, and this is different yep. than the way you've seen uh, women portrayed in the Klingon society. And uh, I would say that the the one that really strikes me is the way they were played in uh, Next Generation. Right. Where you saw that women in that society were subjugated to men and that uh, if they wanted to show, to have some sort of uh, power or leadership, uh, they had to do it from behind the scenes. Right, right. Women in Klingon culture, as we've seen it on the TV shows, and for the most part, in the movies don't have agency. They don't have a sense of of independence outside of a male power structure. That the, the Klingon culture is male dominated, male focused, male male led, and that women who wish to be in a position of any kind of influence in that culture have to have to do it through way of a male. And that's the perfect example of that is the Duras sisters on Next Generation, how they're introduced to them that because Duras is this Klingon who challenges um, Gauron when the leadership of the Klingon Empire is uh, going through a transition. He is killed by Worf, and later on, his they find a son of his that he sired with some woman he was not married to, was not his official mate, and they claim him as the successor to Duras, and that he should be in leadership, questioning, again, questioning Gauron's leadership. Um, but he's an idiot. He's a, he's a, he's a child, and they are the Duras sisters are going to manipulate him from behind the scenes. They're going they're going to be the two who actually are going to be in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that being played out. The only time, the only time in anything that we've seen in Star Trek where a Klingon female takes a position of authority is in Undiscovered Country, the mm-hmm. movie, when Chancellor Gorkhan is killed by the assassins at the beginning of that film and his daughter takes over as the new chancellor. It's the first time we see a female rise to that to, to that authority, and and they sh- that displays a dynastic sense of um, of lineage in regards to you are the child of the current leader, and therefore you take over, you take over control. And I tell you, I for one really enjoyed that 
to see that arc of the mm-hmm. Duras sisters. Yep, yep. Because to me, that likened to the feudal system in right. Europe yep. and how, you know, women, if they wanted to uh, to have any sort of agency, mm-hmm. that they had to manipulate things from behind right. the scenes. Right. And so that showed how women were able to do that right. despite the cir- their circumstances. So I- I'm looking, again, looking at this, new series i'm looking forward to see again how women you know are able to take authority or mm-hmm. um exert their authority mm-hmm. and take leadership uh positions well i think that's great because again the, going back into star trek history you not you don't so have one woman in charge you have you have a woman on the, to on opposing sides you also have another woman in a leadership position. Yes. The, and and in fact, this female first officer is in line with the way the the original series was originally pitched to NBC because the the number one was yes, a woman. Was a woman. Was right? a woman. So mm-hmm. I think that's really that's, I think that's going to be very exciting. Yes, and so that gets us to talking about another. Uh, issue, and that is we're wondering, or at least I'm wondering, uh, how respectful the showrunner is going to be uh, when we, uh, in in regards to the Star Trek canon. They say that they are, but we already have this issue with you know, Spock having this adoptive sister that nobody knew about. And we wonder, you know, whether they're going to play, if, if there are there going to be other uh, modifications. modifications in the story? Well, they're kind of locked in, don't you think? I mean, they're, they're 10 years right before Kirk, Spock, and Bones are on the Enterprise. So at this time, historically, there is a pike that's somewhere in Federation. And whether he's the captain of the Enterprise or not, there are people who we will be introduced to, I think, uh, going forward that have been in, that we've seen on the original series. Mm-hmm. But they're like I said, they're they're locked because they've got the they've got they're ten years before the original series, so there's a lot of information because we're a hundred years since Star Trek Enterprise. They've already set up the foundation. There's a whole lot of things that they've already set. And so with that with that kind of framework of 10 years before original series, 100 years after the Star Trek Enterprise, there's not a whole lot for them to really play with or manipulate. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I hear you. Uh, as you are going to do, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm not going to just wait till after the first episode. But I'm going to actually allow the entire series to play out before I am, let's say, hypercritical right. of the series and where it's going. And that this is probably a good place for us to get into how I f- we felt about the films, the new films, the ones that have been since 2009. Yes, and so I would say that I'm definitely more of... I would say forgiving, more forgiving than <laughs> uh, than Gary is about uh, the newer films. I thought that the first J.J. Abrams film was entertaining. I, if you look at the second film, I would say that I liked m- most of the first third of the film, 
after that, I didn't know why they bothered. I thought it was abomination what they did to the con story, uh, why they thought that that was a good idea in the first place. It was like they were bereft of any new ideas. You know, if you're going to do the con story, then do the con story right. Do not uh, try to play fast and loose with something that really was one of the best characters ever created in Star Trek. And it was, to me, um, you know, sort of a slap in the face of the characterization, characterization so well done by Ricardo Montalban. I mean, yeah, you go from strong, powerful, majestic, um, imperial, Ricardo Montalban, swarthy, powerful-looking man, to Benedict Cumberbatch, this stort, frail wayfish, pasty white kind of guy who doesn't present any of the, symbol, the levels of authority or commanding nature that you get from Montalban. I mean, Montalban at that point had already had his issues with his mm-hmm. hip, and he just he 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 just fills up the screen with that performance. And you don't get the same thing from Benedict Cumberbatch, and and the whole idea of what I call the wacky verse anyway is just it just annoys me. We know? thought that uh, we I think we both enjoyed the third film much better, but uh, we still we both still have some problems with the alternative universe. Uh, I wish that they would find a storyline in which they could erase most of what was done in the yeah, alternative universe. Right, but it but it, it probably won't happen. And that's probably what we'll get is one more film set in the alternative universe before they do a reboot. Yeah, I think I think that's actually the reason why this series has come along. I think that Paramount has looked at it and they've taken the advice of a number of people who say that Star Trek deserves to be on, that really it works best on television. Um, and I think that they've also looked seriously at the fact that the last film, um, Star Trek Beyond, was not, was not as financially profitable as the two previous movies. They rushed it through production. And, and I have grown to accept Christopher Pine and um, Zachary Quinto. I like them. I, I like... I like uh, I like um, um, the rest of the cast. Carl Urban as uh, Bones. I think he's really good. I'm not a fan of Zoe Saldana as Uhura. I really am not. And I don't know. I don't. I, so anyway, I just think that it's going to be difficult for them to really continue along those lines. And I, but like I said, I think that part of the reason why they've done this, this TV series, and they've made a very clear statement that this was in the original universe, um, they've, they are making a very clear point that they're going back to the elements that traditionally have made Star Trek what it is. And I think another thing that um, we appreciate about this new series is that CBS has invested the resources to make sure that uh, they are allowing this show to 
um, have high production values, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they have gotten people, you know, really, really fine actors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the showrunners, really the writers strong. are very experienced. Right. You have people who have been involved in Star Trek yep. for decades mm -hmm. uh, who are associated with this show. So we, uh, and we also appreciate the fact that CBS has committed to at least two seasons of right. the show. Right, right, right. So um, we're looking forward to see what can come of that you know while they're trying to decide what's going to happen cinematically uh with uh in the star trek universe yeah i think this i think the success of this show could do a lot to answer the question of what's going to happen with the films yes so um I think this is the time that we want to wrap it up. But before we do, we want to uh, tell you how you can get involved. So what we're going to do is we're going to, we have a Facebook page, Star Trek Age of Discovery. And we want to invite you to become, help build the community and actually engage with us there. And the first thing we want to ask of, of all listeners is, what is it that attracted you to Star Trek? It, it could be a character. It could be an ideal that was presented in one of the shows or the films. Or it could be how you were first introduced to it. You may have been introduced to it by a friend or a family member, and, and it has an endearing part of you. So we want to get an idea as to why you are a Star Trek fan. Up and we can and we can share that with one another and actually begin building building a relationship. So we're looking forward to interacting with you on the Facebook page, and we also want to remind you that the first episode of the show will premiere at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sunday, September 24th, on the CBS Network. Thereafter, you can catch it on the CBS All Access streaming. Network and then eventually it'll be available on Netflix, but that's not going to obviously come until after it's finished its run. Okay, so that's it for now. Until next week, long live long and prosper.